Spooky! <laughs> I hate both of you. So hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views and overreactions to all things NFL. This week we'll be looking at news from all around the league, as well as injuries, as well as taking a quick look at some of the spooky NFL exorcisms that we want to do for the Halloween week that's in it. Then we'll obviously be looking at the games from last week, a question or two from you, the listeners, and then on to our picks for next week's games. So hey guys, uh, Connor here, we've got Harry, Hello. and we've got Rowan. Hello. What's the crack lads, any story with yourselves? Uh, just just ramping up to Halloween now, getting ready for the for the party. Had a bit of a, a costume disaster uh, in, my, in, my pla- in the planning phase. I was, going to, uh, I was going to go to Super Mario, a sexy Super Mario. So uh, my roommate, who is, who is a lady, uh, has a pair of dungarees that she offered me to use as part of the costume. Because it's really hard to buy dungarees in Dublin if you're a man. They sell them for babies and for women, but not for lads. Uh, hers are massively baggy, so I was like, yeah, perfect, these, these will actually do, and I can get the little sort of hot pants on them, so I can like, sexy Mario. And then I went to put them on, and they all fitted, except the leg holes were cut for, like... Tiny legs. Tiny legs. So they, these were presumably... I don't know who these were designed SpongeBob for. SquarePants. SpongeBob SquarePants, or Jiggly Caliente, or something like that. There mm. was... It was really weird, and now I, now I don't have a costume, and I'm actually quite upset, and I need to come up with something. Yeah, I haven't got one yet either. I went up to Donegal to sort one out, and I could only find some of the costume I was going to use, <laughs> so now I've got to spend the next day or two figuring something out. What about yourself, Fitz? How did your trip to the to the vintage costume shop in Cork, you big hipster, go? Uh, not very well. <laughs> At this point, uh, I'm thinking about just letting my facial hair grow out a bit, buy a fedora, pretty much, neck beard, pretty much done. Fair enough. Fair so you're enough. going as yourself then, yeah? <laughs> it's oh. me in an alternate timeline. <laughs> Bizarre, bizarrely, I think Owen, my brother, is going in a very similar outfit. I think he's going as a vape nation. Oh my god! <laughs> so he's dressing as a hipster, like. Well, no, I think I think he's got like weed symbols, like clothing and stuff, and a bandana, and like those kind of flick up sunglasses. And he's bought uh, he's bought like um, the the vaping things, the e-cigarettes. <sighs> so I, I don't know. Apparently, it's on some YouTube channel, uh, but we're not. We're not cool enough to know any of that stuff, so oh well. Um, but yeah, no, it should be good fun. So we'll have a look at some of the news first, and then we'll move on to our Halloween-themed section on uh, exorcisms. In serious news this week, the NFL has reopened Josh Brown's domestic violence investigation. Uh, there's been some complaints made about him beating his wife. It would appear that there's more than just complaints there. There's actually a large history of this happening and knowledge of it happening. The NFL have decided to put him on the uh, commissioner's exempt list, I believe. So he is not on the roster, was not able to travel to London for the game uh, Gould, I think, came in and took over his job for him. There's a number of statements with police about it, records of Brown's statements on it. There was even an incident, apparently, at the Pro Bowl where uh, there was violence between them. The NFL assisted the wife in moving rooms. Their security were involved. There's literally no way in hell that the NFL didn't know this was going on. It's something that's meant to have a zero-tolerance policy in the NFL. They gave him one game. Uh, We've seen a lot of players get involved in this and tweet about it and send messages about them wanting to, to see results. 
this is horrendous and I'm amazed that it's taken this long for it to, to, to get sorted given this is something we were discussing in week one and in the preseason about this. Um, I suppose I'll come to you first on this, Ronan. Like, what's your thoughts on this? Is this just another scenario, another case of the NFL only being forced into action because of circumstances outside of their control, not that they wanted to get involved and sort this out in the first place? Well, yeah, it's hard not to see that you know, similarity between this case and the Ray, Rice, uh, the Ray Rice case, where the NFL kind of sat in it. They were aware of some evidence. We, were, we, you know, we became aware that they had evidence that was pretty damning, but didn't do anything until that evidence became public. In this case, this evidence is pretty damning again. It's not a video, but in this case, they have an actual signed statement from Josh Brown admitting that he had physically, verbally, and emotionally abused his former wife, Molly. Like, in that case... It's pretty difficult for the NFL to then turn around and say, actually, oh, we didn't really know about this. I think the Pro Bowl incident adds a whole extra spin that makes it even worse that they were actively trying to busy work around this. Now, of course, they would argue, like, you know, until proven guilty or whatever, we can't do anything. But, you know, that's not the approach they have to other minor, uh, what, 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 what we would probably consider more minor violations of stuff like drug policy, etc. This is the kind of thing where the NFL obviously wanted to protect its own reputation and protect the reputation of the game by, you know, effectively putting a, a vulnerable woman in a difficult place and not providing her with the assistance that she actually needed at a time where, presumably, they, like she was trying to save face for the family as a whole by going to the Pro Bowl despite this kind of abuse. Now, of course, the problem with this investigation is that while the NFL might argue, well, okay, he was never prosecuted, he was never actually charged, that's primarily because the uh, former wife, Molly, has become less cooperative with the police. You know, impossible to speculate why that is, but it does leave basically open that, you know, on the balance of judgment, something ter- like something really bad was happening here, but for, you know, pretty suspicious reasons that has happened to not go anywhere. I think in the NFL's case, this is another screw-up, another black mark on their record. At this point, they really should know better, and they should have a the kind of, basically the no-tolerance kind of guidelines that they have for drugs and, like, celebrations and all this other incidental stuff that they're so happy to basically pass the ban hammer out for to this type of approach for something which is obviously a major issue uh, not only in this case but obviously in society as a whole no of course and like there was some very interesting scenes from the uh, from the press conferences at the London game where people were questioning the management in in New York about this they tried to avoid answering questions about this for about 10 minutes then eventually someone just said look yes or no did you know about what was going on and they just said I'm not going to answer that question and they shut down the press conference this doesn't strike me Harry as them trying to deal with it this strikes me of them trying to do damage control absolutely it is and once again it's as, as, as you guys have already said we're looking at a situation where the NFL is is closing the barn door after the horse has bolted because they completely failed to take any action even his one-game suspension, which is obviously ridiculously uh, light, came a long time after the initial allegations happened. Like, his arrest was in 2015. Like, this has been something that has been known about for a, for a while. Um, again, like I said, the Pro Bowl incident, the NFL's insistence and the Giants' insistence that they didn't know anything about it has now proven to ring completely hollow. And I think it's actually quite disturbing when we compare this to the Ray Rice situation. Because we've, this is what was supposed to be the, the teachable moment in inverted commas for the NFL, where they learned that domestic violence was serious and they as a league had to take it seriously. Now, they learned it for the wrong reasons. They learned it for PR reasons instead of basic human empathy reasons or basic, you know, abuse is bad reasons. But it looked like they had learned it. And if you look at it, Ray Rice, right, 
one very high profile, very ugly, unpardonable, inexcusable incident. Since then, Ray Rice has, in fairness to him, he has fulfilled all of the obligations he said he would fulfill in terms of counselling and in terms of work he would do and community service to avoid having a trial. He has made steps towards... I mean, obviously, you can never take something like this back, but Ray Rice has made steps towards trying to just rehabilitate himself as a person. Uh, he seems to be doing a lot of charity work and trying, still going through counselling and things like that. And he said that if he ever comes back, you know, he'll donate his money to uh, charities that support female victims of domestic abuse or even just victims of domestic abuse. Ray Rice is still out of the league. That's probably fine. I don't really have that much sympathy for the guy. But you can see there's a guy there who was caught with one incident who's wife wanted to stay with him and has been punished for it if you take the situation with brown we had a guy who people knew was an abuser who had a consistent history of abuse a consistent history of abuse in front of the nfl that just never happened to get caught on camera and sent out to the world in the way that ray rice's was and what happened they protected him they did nothing when they knew this was a problem they did nothing after the arrest they did nothing after the pro bowl incident and ultimately I think the big, big thing here comes back to John Mara, the owner of the New York Giants. Mara was incredibly vocal during the Ray Rice situation about how the NFL needed to do better and do more, and this was disgraceful, and yada, 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 and it all made sense at the time, and it all played really well. Mara is the guy who has been protecting Brown for abuse that has lasted a very long time that he and the team have known about. And Mara is known for being one of the guys who influences... Goodell a lot. He's one of the more powerful owners and he's seen as one of the uh, bigger stakeholders and decision makers in terms of the league's owners and their relationship with the commissioner. And you have to question that relationship between the owners and the commissioner. And if there was any kind of collusion here, what information Mara and Goodell shared, what information Mara and Goodell knew and sat on, and to what extent uh, Mara kept, may have kept Goodell in the dark about this, that's the real question. This comes back to the New York Giants organization who refused to act who protected, for some reason, a 37-year-old mediocre kicker for some unfathomable reason that doesn't seem to be sports-related, doesn't seem to be in any way related to what he's done, but just decided to, I don't know, because they could. And that's really, really concerning. And it's really easy to blame the league, and it's really right to blame the league. But at the end of the day, we have to ask an even bigger question about John Mara and the New York Giants organization and why they have been such hypocrites over it and so craven when it was one of their own players. No, 100%. Like, I'll be very interested to see how this develops over the next couple of days. I'm sure we'll have updates next week on, on, on corrective actions being taken. But like you said, I think the, the barn door when the when the horse is bolted is exactly it. It's exactly the same scenario as what happened in the Ray Rice one where they said, we've sorted it, we've dealt with it, and then public outrage occurs. Whereas at least in that one they said, we've dealt with it. This one they just tried to pretend it didn't exist. So uh, fuck y'all. Uh, get your shit together. We've done. We spent most of last season complaining about all this kind of crap. Like, get your shit together league uh in slightly more positive news vinatieri is now uh, he's another kicker but this one doesn't appear to beat anyone which is good apart from the opposition <laughs> oh yeah vinatieri has now got the record for the most consecutive field goals 43 he also happens to be 43 congratulations to adam vinatieri how many years has he got left in him it looks like he's gonna to get to the stage where rather than his well you although you never know but rather than his body breaking down it looks like at a certain point he's gonna be like i want to spend more time with my family like he looks like he could play for another five years the way he's going oh, yeah. it's ridiculous i wonder how many random drug tests he's being subjected to oh, at this time so fitz do you think this is like the plot of some terrible horror books that you read when you were a child where the number that he gets consecutively will also be the year that he dies <laughs> Hopefully not. That's a, that's a bit hokey even for someone like Stephen King. But like as I as we talked about uh, a few podcasts ago in the kind of near Hall of Fame players, I think this is the kind of record 
uh, that pretty much, I would say, almost signs his ticket at this point between all of the, you know, iconic, all the iconic moments he's been involved in over the years, obviously with the Patriots and then with the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, this is the type of record that really, it's, it's great to see someone like him get it because, uh, you know, he's really, he, you know, he's been a really, he's been a flag bearer for the, for the position for a very long time now and long may continue. No, of course, of course. And then in other news of older players, Arian Foster retires. Uh, again, someone who could have probably been in our discussion about the, the not quite there for the Hall of Famers or, you know, uh, 6,527 rush yards, 2,346 receiving yards and 68 touchdowns. Had a great career that towards the back end got marred in injuries and there was quite a, quite an emotional statement came out from him today saying you know, he loved to play it, he loves playing the sport, he loves the violence and the excitement in it. Um, but he just said emotionally he couldn't take the take the rehabbing of even a minor injury again. Like just being sat there on the sidelines and not being able to do anything, he just couldn't hack anymore and it was... Very touching and obviously quite sad to see him go, especially given, you know, he kind of lost the last two and a half to three years of his career there to, to constant injuries. Um, but yeah, I always, I always quite enjoyed him, to be honest. Uh, any takes on him there, Harry? Yeah, look, Foster was a, a phenomenal talent, uh, particularly when he was healthy, obviously towards the back end, suffered a lot from his own injuries and from the team he was playing on. But his highs, when he was good, he was one of the best in the league. And it's a real shame that he never got full full potential. And that's why you wouldn't talk. I don't think I don't I don't think I'd agree that you'd talk about him in terms of guys who might be near to the Hall of Fame because he simply just although he had the talent to mm. achieve that level, he was ultimately never able to put it together. No, no, no. He only, with you on he that. only had I think two full seasons uh, in the mm. league. The rest of them were, were cut short by injury, which it's a real shame. Yeah. But uh, hopefully, you know, this is the right thing for him. And look, he's all, he's clearly a very smart guy, and uh, I'm sure he'll be able to succeed at whatever he decides to turn his yeah, hand to no, next. Of course. What about yourself, Fitz? Yeah, like I think he was the epitome of like the perfect zone back, uh, like the zone blocking scheme, running back with a you know with patience and the ability to hit the hole. Like that, that took it. Like that kind of running style required a lot of intelligence and a lot of ability to know what how the play was developing. And he was an expert at that. And basically, that's a scheme which has become very common. And I'm sure lots of teams would love to have an Arian Foster in his prime. And as, as you mentioned, like for the year that we're in, with all of the issues around the Colin Kaepernick and the National Anthem, it's a shame that we've lost and one of the players who have, who have consistently, since he came into the league, continue to be opinionated and have opinions which perhaps are against the grain, whether that's on religion, whether that's on the nature of being a football player. He's always been willing, someone willing to state his mind. And if, if you go back to the Hard Knocks series with uh, the Texans, I think it was mm. probably one of the great lost opportunities that he got injured early on in that and wasn't able to be fully a star of that instead we were subjected to all the J.J. Watt pump up moving tires bullshit I think the little we saw there is just a small flavour of the type of player he was both on the field and off it I think it's a great shame he had to retire early no. because of these injuries 100% Aaron Foster best of luck in whatever you do in the rest of your life now uh, but yeah a couple more injuries we'll have to go through now uh, Chicago Hoyer had his arm broken in the game then had to be removed. They had to run with their third stringer. Although on the plus side, it looks like Jay Cutler's just been cleared to come back. Fucking poor Chicago lads. <laughs> poor Chicago. Hoyer was looking all right. Like scrim up north. Oh, it's just not good. Just not fun. Speaking of injured quarterbacks, Chino Smith finally got a start. Uh, tore his ACL. He's out for the season. I find this very interesting because people were complaining about him online following the game because of the fact that he wasn't visibly limping or dying but changed into street clothes not just people Joe Namath yeah Joe Namath called him out and it's Joe Namath like fuck off 
I suppose it's hard to tell, uh, given that it's a, a f- like 22-minute sample over the last two and a half seasons. But uh, Fitz, do you think the loss of Geno Smith is going to have a big impact on the Jets? <laughs> Uh, not really. I don't think there are any contention for playoff positions. I think mm. what's most interesting is that this like basically vaults Ryan Fitzpatrick right back into the into the lineup, and mm. Ryan Fitzpatrick's comments after he... uh, the game where he basically goes all out and says, you know, when the when the team stops believing you and the owner stops believing you, all you can do is believe in yourself. Like he tore the arse that... out of that organization in yeah. his po- in his press conference. Now the thing is, I think. The people in the locker room obviously like, like the players in the locker room actually like him. So it'll be interesting to see whether we have a, a, almost a, a revolt on our hands in that locker room going forward. Ooh. If Fitzpatrick actually managed to put together a good run of results, but I don't think that's going to happen, and he'll get he'll get shit canned at the end of the season regardless. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, you know, Marshall is already down with the ship uh, at this point. Yeah. Oh, guys, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but I've actually got some live news. The Giants have just cut Josh Brown. Excellent. So that's something. That's a good start. We will we'll follow up either on the on the Facebook page or in next week's uh, episode on that for you as yeah. well. But yes, he's now officially been cut. Uh, Houston's right tackle Derek Newton tore both his patellar tendons in one go. Uh, this isn't just him out for the season. This is a proper career threatening injury. Uh, like oh, not 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 that Houston were the strongest O line to start with, but like, what's the impact for the team in this? Well, I mean, obviously it's it's in general lost to an already poor O line, but. Uh... It'll be interesting to see how the, the team responds to that because obviously it's 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 psychologically very a very volatile situation. Obviously, we hope the best for Newton that he'll be able to come back, but it, it will be interesting to see if this affects the team because that kind of thing can galvanise a team mm. behind an injured player, or it can, I think, when a team already struggling, really be another oh god, this is all just going wrong. But for the time being, I think it's just hopefully he's able to able to recover from this because that is a spectacularly unfortunate oh, horrifying uh, Tevin Coleman for Atlanta has injured his hamstring this week to week I believe it's linked to the sickle stuff um, they said that was why there was soreness there but, um, yeah. but but yeah like it's week to week we might see him this week we might not as soon as we get a bit of clarity we'll update you uh, the Mzungu's Dachshund's got IR hurt his Achilles he might come back but Achilles are kind of hard to tell and Josh Norman suffered a concussion he might miss their trip to London uh, what are the impact of these two players there Fitz? Uh, like Dachshund he's been buried on the depth chart he's a first round pick but they have so much talent there between Crowder and Deshaun Jackson and Pierre Garçon yeah. they don't, don't really miss it Josh Norman absolutely massive if he misses a game and we'll probably talk about this in the previews but you know, Josh Norman has shut down some pretty good, uh, like number one wide receivers this year. At this this week, they'll be playing Cincinnati. AJ Green could have a big game if Josh Norman is out. I think the problem is, is that there's no doctors in London who are part of the concussion protocol, oh, so right. it could be an issue. That <laughs> oh, they can't just send them over and then have someone pass it over there. But you know, these teams have a lot of money, so maybe they'll sort something out if yeah. he is actually would get through the concussion protocol. I get cleared by it if a doctor was there. No, of course. We'll run through a few of the other ones because I think these are a little bit lower down. So we've got uh, D. Lyman Reed for San Diego. Uh, ACL tear. He's gone for the season. That's their fifth ACL tear this season. That's that's brutal. Hunter Henry can cost you may miss a game. may not. Depends on how he gets through the protocol. Uh, Demarius Randall has a core muscle injury. He'll be a couple of weeks. Nothing too long there. Jerome Brown torn an ACL for Arizona. So he's gone for the season. And uh, Ron Brooks... Uh, has torn his quad tendon, which is one that I didn't really know about. Uh, but they said that's that's a season-ending injury. Is there anyone on there? I think probably Hunter Henry's the the most relevant name out of that group. 
Yeah, I think so. Um, obviously, he was playing very well, but I think you know, obviously, they've got Antonio Gates. They'll hope that he's got something something left in the tank there. It's a bit weird that San Diego are going to finish the season with more ACL injuries than Cleveland are going to have wins, but there you go. <laughs> well, that's it. They've already got that now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, sure, look, that'll wrap up for the news. We've got a little section we're going to have a look at now. Uh, NFL exorcism, given what's now the Halloween weekend and the power of Christ compels your football, Jesus, Tim Tebow or whoever. <laughs> Charlie Whitehurst. Christian Ponder, what a thought. What players, teams, concepts, etc. we'd like to see removed from the from the NFL. Uh, I suppose we'll go to you first, Harry, on this one. What are, what are you looking to try and get rid of in the NFL? What would you like to see cast out? What I want to get rid of is... All of this nonsense about celebration, about taunting that we, we've seen. The NFL has bizarrely decided to make it a point of emphasis this year. And what we've seen has been, A, on the face of it, completely ludicrous. And B, totally inconsistent as well. Like, there's this old joke about the No Fun League, you know? And it's really coming true. Unbelievably po-faced way they're going about this. This is like a serious, respectful game. And you can't have taunting and you can't have fun and you can't do anything that might, you know, annoy anyone except running into them really high speed and tackling to the ground. What makes it even weirder than this constant, like, we're seeing 15-yard penalties assessed for people like... And it, it's such borderline. I go, it's throwing the ball away is, you know... That'll, that'll get a, a Terrell Pryor a penalty, but punting it into the stands if you're Blake Bortles won't. Like, totally inconsistent. Mm. But regards to that, it's also massively hypocritical. And this is something Josh Norman uh, pointed out when he said, oh, I'm going to do a new celebration. It's going to be a keg stand. I'm going to do a keg stand over an invisible keg of beer. Because for all of this talk about morality and, you know... Setting you know, an example setting for the example children. role models, right? This is a league that firstly uses those celebrations and all of its highlight reels and type videos. So it's perfectly happy for them and recognises they get people excited, which is the whole point of them. Secondly, obviously, we don't even get into morality. You know, concussions, domestic violence... Uh, steroid abuse, what have you. The league hasn't have a leg to stand on on that well, basis. This is the thing. It's steroids. illegal to flex at another man, but it's not illegal to punch a woman in the face. Or rather, well, it is illegal. They just won't flag you for it. They just won't do anything. They won't do anything about it until somebody really, really calls you out on it. And then the advertising. They sell all these these boner pills. They sell their beer, whatever. How can you pretend that you're like doing some example for the children when every ad break I need to hear about Cialis and and Bud Light? Like you cannot. Pretend that, especially when you're like, oh, you know, taunting. It might get the crowd a bit, you know, riled up, and it might cause crowd problems if players are excess celebrating too much. Yeah, because they're all drunk, like because <laughs> of the exact products that you're shilling. You can't have it both ways, and the league's really, really trying to do that to protect the sensibilities of this almost almost mythical white blue collar American who's the sort of person who presumably writes letters into the Charlotte Observer when Cam Newton gives a ball to a small child in the crowd or does the dab. This is the kind of person the NFL is actually pandering to now. And you've really got to wonder, like, that's probably a very small cohort of people who are actually going to not watch football because of it. And I'm just not sure what the aim of what they're doing here is. I think you can trust that players are going to behave themselves if they get a little bit riled up over the taunting. If they get, if the crowd gets a bit rowdy, like, you've got to just expect that you've got, to, you've got to be able to handle your own crowd situation. And if players get pissed off over it, yeah, go and eject them if they get violent. But not for taunting. Not for spinning the ball. Don't have it offsetting that if a player gets... Um, hit helmet to helmet and then spins the ball afterwards they offset and you do the play again the NFL's priorities here are totally backwards it's absolutely baffling it doesn't help the product 
and it's his attempt to turn it into this joyless corporate advertising vehicle where the players are just like pieces suborned to the league and the shield and don't show any personality i hate it it's incredibly frustrating to see us go further and further down this rabbit hole if they're not wasting time if they're not causing a delay of game let them have their fun let them do dances let them choreograph let them spin the ball who cares it's not hurting anyone it's just some weird little control thing yeah ronan what about yourself what's your what's your one you want to cast out yeah it I want to cast out Thursday Night Football, truly one of the greatest blights upon the modern NFL landscape. Firstly, because consistently, year after year, Thursday Night Football has some of the worst games. Some of that is due to the schedule. Going by this year alone, we've already had the stinker where the Texans got blown out by the Patriots. We've already had a 49ers game, a Bears game. And this week, we get the absolutely fascinating Jaguars and Titans game. What can only be described as a poo game, which will be poo. No one will watch it. It'll be terrible. Why is this the game that you're doing? But it's not just that they're picking bad games. Because we know, or at least the statistics suggest, that the short week does have an effect on the quality of the game. The NFL, as you may be aware, is quite a physically demanding sport. Because, you know, people are hitting each other very fast and are expected to do incredibly athletic performances in very tight bursts. If you give them three days less to actually rest up and get ready for a game, uh, both from a tactical point of view and preparation point of view, and from a physical point of view, it's not surprising that these games tend to have much more tired teams, much teams who are underperforming relative to what we expect. So even if you do put on a good matchup, it tends to be up, end up being much more disappointing than we might expect it to be based on the numbers alone. So what you're putting forward here is a crappy game which doesn't achieve anything of any note except basically make us regret staying up on Thursday night. That's a particular shout-out for you know, us people who live in Europe and you know sometimes stay up for these games. And the biggest thing is the players hate it. The players absolutely despise this short turnaround because from their perspective, they know that injuries are more likely with this short turnaround and they're more likely to have these kind of effects when they're less prepared for this thing. And it's like... It's not even like the NFL treats it with respect. Firstly, it's basically their little media play thing. This year, they've already hawked off Thursday night to Twitter for free, effectively, to show it on the internet. This week, they're starting their exclusive NFL Network Thursday night football games, starting, of course, with the best one, Jags at Titans. It's obviously something that they don't respect themselves, and which is just designed to be their little play thing to see what different ways they can try to make money from the media landscape going forward. And the worst thing of all, and like some of those are pretty big complaints, is that the Thursday night football brand is used on days that aren't Thursday. The game between the Giants and the Rams uh, on Sunday morning was called Thursday night football. Every right. time there'd be an ad break, no, it's no. Thursday to, to, to be fair, Ronan, it's called Thursday Night Football Sunday Edition. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that's even that's more even, ridiculous if you ask me. That's even worse. Later on in the season, there will be games on Saturday, and those will be Thursday Night Football, hope maybe, Saturday Edition. Maybe they won't even bother with the subtitle. It's like, it's like you're a multimedia billion-dollar empire who's collaborating with other multi-million media empires. Can you not afford a different logo? Can you not afford to do a little mock-up saying Sunday morning football or Saturday evening football? Is this really so difficult, NFL? Thursday night football, you don't respect it. We don't respect it. The players don't respect it. Exercise it now. And in the power of the name of 
clipboard Jesus, I compel you to leave us. Very good, very good. Um, yeah, my one is, uh, again, just another thing that's been irritating the fuck out of me of late. Uh, seating and the way that the playoffs are arranged. Uh, I don't get why just because you play in a dog shit division, you winning six games gives you a fucking home field advantage or seven games. Like, I don't understand why... The, like the point of the game is to select the best teams that will then play each other in a knockout scenario to decide who represents our conference at the at the main event at the Super Bowl, right? Surely in that scenario, what you should be doing is picking. And I know six is an arbitrary number, so make it seven, make it five, whatever, whatever suits, right? But surely you should be picking the six best teams to represent your conference in these playoff games, and then decide who will go on to represent them in the Super Bowl. I say this now with a bit of a personal bias because I was looking at the standings for the for the playoffs upcoming and there are currently three AFC West teams in there, uh, two of whom are going to be seated behind teams with worse records than them on the basis that those teams won their division rather than uh, anything else. I don't see why a team that wins 11 or 12 games in a division where someone wins 13 or 14 games should then have to travel to a team that wins eight games just because that team happens to be in a shitter division than them. Why are you advantaging a worse team if the end goal is to try and select the best team to represent you beyond that point? Now, we did a little bit of research on the thing, I'm not going to lie. Technically, technically, under the current situation, you can get to the playoffs with a 3-13 and record, right? 3-13. and Now, to be honest, never going to happen. That is almost impossible, but it is possible. <laughs> um, but we've seen it a number of years now where you've seen teams... Uh, I think the one the one I liked just because of the roundness of it was six six and two. The Houston Oilers in nineteen sixty nine made it to the playoffs. Obviously, lots and lots of eight and eight teams make it to the playoffs, and then they get seated above teams that have a ten eleven wins. But uh, two more recent ones that we might remember: the seven eight and one Panthers and the seven and nine Seahawks. Now, the seven and nine Seahawks purported themselves well. Uh, in the uh, in the game against the Saints following that. But, you know, that was an exception rather than a rule. It just seems a bit silly that we're then going to disadvantage teams just because they play in good divisions, their ability to try and move forward and actually represent the, those teams at the, at the uh, Super Bowl, which is, you know, presumably everyone's end goal for this. So uh, on that basis alone, I think stop giving preferential treatment to, like, the fucking Titans or the the... the the Houston Texans or whoever the fuck comes out of one of those divisions, right? They don't deserve it. They're gack. We're basically just looking at it as a buy anyway. <laughs> like, why don't we? Why don't we try and fix this? I don't know why, and that's why I think that's what I want to get rid of in the NFL. That's what we should get rid of this Halloween. But yeah, so yeah, we'll try. We'll try and push that one through. Uh, we'll be sending all of these uh, in a letter to to Goodell, which will also contain a large bag of our shit. <laughs> Because he's in blood. Oh my god! Uh, so look forward to that, Goodell. Or well, actually, what we'll do is we'll put a small marking on it, so we'll make sure his secretary doesn't open it, and just make sure it's just for like his eyes only. Yeah, very. We'll say it's like important evidence, yeah. a domestic abuse case. Yeah, yeah and then he will destroy. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And he just tries to burn shit. Yeah, in his own that's, that's shit in his own office. Perfect. So on that lovely and very illustrative uh, example, uh, we'll move on to the games from last week. So, first game we're going to look at in the Ring of Honor is San Diego at Atlanta, 33-30. High-flying game with strong performances from both teams. San Diego rallied from a 17-point deficit to win in overtime with a Josh Lambeau field goal. 
their defence stepped up and stopped Atlanta on 4th and 1 which then gave them great field position to be able to, to, to take the win couple of notice, notable performances in this uh, Melvin Gordon has two touchdowns that brings him to 10 on the year which means that he leads the NFL given he didn't score any last year that's quite impressive uh, Julio Jones went off again 174 yards on 9 catches but no touchdowns and Terrell Williams for the San Diego Superchargers went 140 yards on 7 catches Bosa picked up 2 sacks in his continued effort to uh, <laughs> become defensive rookie of the year after not playing for four or five games um, Vic Beasley also had two sacks in this game so so Harry I'll come to you first on this two strong showings here San Diego nearly shut out Atlanta in the second half they only allowed three points how did they achieve such a turnaround from allowing you know so many points on such a collapse on offense it has been it has just been the defense uh, that has stepped up for them and it's been young players on the defense like Bosa like Brown guys who have just shown that they're able to to do it and obviously they've got veteran pieces like uh, Ingram and Perryman played really really well in that game but this is now a defence that's coming together and it's what we didn't see at the start of the season from them was that you know, Philip Rivers was trying to do the whole thing himself he was trying to put the team on his back same as he's done for the last few seasons and just throw them out of a hole now they have a run game and although um, again Gordon's like overall numbers weren't great he actually got three touchdowns it was two rushing and one receiving oh, um, and so they're able to control the game a bit better now with that run game that they've got going but the defence has made the difference and even though they gave up 30 points still when the game got into the second half, they were able to again adjust and step up and make the changes they needed to, to effectively, almost as you said, shut out one of the best offences in the NFL. And it's made so much of a difference to see San Diego with the defence now and to see them with that ability to actually control games or fight back into games in a way that they wouldn't have had beforehand, in a way they haven't had in the past. That's going to be critical. Now... Their decision not to be up two scores in the fourth quarter turned out to be turned out to be critical. But this was a game that swung around a lot. A game they struggled in uh, in some ways early. Was very fun, and high scoring, which is kind of the game that you think is going to suit San Diego. But is also again the kind of game they they have lost this season. So something has changed there. Stepping up, making the difference, being able to make plays, and I think this is a result of time and patience. I think this is a young-ish core gelling into among veteran pieces. And I think that this team now is not perhaps going to be a playoff team, but I think this is a team who people had, at the start of the season, said, look, they're flaky, they're unreliable, they'll find ways to lose games, is now turning from that into an inconsistent, potentially explosive team that can find ways to win games. And that kind of psychological shift is going to change how teams approach them, is going to change how they approach games, and if they can master that, it's something that's going to make them very, very dangerous as the season moves on. No, 100%, 100%. Fitz, this was a game at home against, let's be honest, quite an injured San Diego team. Even though they've been stepping up, there are holes on this roster that they don't have people to fill. Are the Falcons slowing down, or are teams just figuring them out a bit? It's tough to say. Like, I they, like I think this test that they had earlier in the season was a little bit exaggerated due to the opposition that they faced. They managed to get a good win against Denver. I think that was a statement game. I think people then were jumping on board and were starting to hype them up. But I think we saw in the Seahawks game last week and this game uh, and this week is that this is a team that really, like, we, we have questions about them. I think it's always been a team that we've been like, like, this is a good team. There's so many good things about this team, particularly on offense. They really should be good. But there's something about the team that you're still a little bit suspicious of. I think especially after the season they had last season, which was so lopsided, you have to have these questions about whether this team has 
the character to be a winning team. Like this is obviously a contender team, a team which could definitely make the playoffs and probably will make the playoffs in an NFC side which is looking pretty meh uh, this year. But are they a contender in the sense of being in the Super Bowl, like in the championship in the Super Bowl, in that kind of sense? And it's still hard to have full faith in this team. Like it's the, like the decision making just at critical times seems to be substandard. Like when they're winning well, they're fine. But in these close games, are they going to be able to make the right decision? They didn't make the right decision to get the Seahawks. They tried to get fancy, go high power offense, throwing the ball instead of trying to close the game out, which has been a generally effective run game. In this game, Matt Ryan throws a pretty bad interception at a critical time uh, towards the end of the game. And then in overtime, Dan Quinn goes for it on fourth and short and ends up uh, giving the ball back to the San Diego Chargers uh, near midfield, and then they go down and score the game-winning overtime kick. I think that kind of shows you a team which you just can't quite trust their decision-making, their character. That is a team that, when things get really serious, they will actually be able to make the right decisions and beat what are the elite teams in the league. For me, personally, there's still a lot of questions to ask. There's a lot of excitement there, and if they put it all together, there's definitely a huge, like, there's absolutely bundles of potential. But for right now, this game continues to leave more questions than answers for me personally for this team. 100%, 100%. Yeah, like it is It is one of those ones that, I, again, similar to the Seahawks game last week, I don't look at this as one that makes me suddenly go, Atlanta, sure, they're, they're crumbling. But uh, like San Diego are looking strong, Atlanta are still looking good. I think it is an issue of maturity and seeing how they how they can kind of solidify themselves down the stretch. I'm a bit worried that, going back to my, my weekly Shanahan statement, in this game, came under pressure, reversed the type. Once... Particularly once uh, Coleman went out of the game, it was just Julio, 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 yeah, Julio, all time. and nothing else. Like this is the thing they need to make sure they maintain the diversity that they've been showing on offense if they want to keep it being effective. Uh, so we're going to move into the neutral zone now. This was an interesting game: Buffalo at Miami, twenty-five to twenty-eight. This game was all about JHI. Two hundred fourteen yards rushing and touchdown. He rushed for more yards than Tannehill threw. I thought that was nice. Um, but even with that, even with this kind of performance, they trailed by eleven at the end of the third quarter, and it was very confusing when you look at on, on paper at this game. The Dolphins should have been dominating here. Dolphins had 454 yards of offense. Bills had 267. Dolphins had 37 minutes of possession. Bills had 23. Like, lack of McCoy could possibly be looked at as an issue because he went out with an injury. But at that point, he had had 11 yards on eight carries. He hadn't been effective. The Bills just couldn't get anything going on offense. They punted seven times in this game. It was very weird. So Fitz, I'll come to you first on this. The Bills' defense did its job here for at least three quarters. A lot of bend and don't break stuff. Is this a team that can compete in better situations? Or is this all they are, a kind of almost there but not quite? Yeah, like I, I, I would generally come down on the latter. Like I think I think we, we've all expressed skepticism about the Buffalo Bills going back to the beginning of the season. You know, starting from the organization to the coaching uh, to the actual team itself. And with all of the injuries that they've had, that certainly hasn't helped. I think the defense is good, but I don't think it's elite. I don't think this is like a uh, like a, a Broncos defense last year or the Minnesota Vikings defense earlier in the season. It seems like it's a good defense. It'll definitely do its part to help the team win, but it's not the one that's going to drag the team kicking and screaming to uh, the playoffs by itself. On the offense, the problem is it's very hard to judge an offense, which is missing, it. well, in this game is dealing with an injured running back in LeSean McCoy who has been absolutely killing teams 
for the last few weeks and has looked to be actually have regained the form that made him such a household name, uh, even if he is still a bit of a dickhead, like a few years ago. And obviously they lost their main uh, wide receiver in Sammy Watkins and Robert Woods was out in this game. He was their wide receiver too. It's just the case that like Tyrod Taylor was basically having to do it all himself. He got a rushing touchdown. He threw for 200 yards. He did everything he could, but the, the, the pieces just aren't there. Like Marquise Goodman gets you a long touchdown but he's really only a, like a rich man's Kenny Stills. You're not really going to be able to rely on him. Um, so I think from that perspective, I think the injuries tell. And it's just I just don't think there's a team that can go any further. And for me personally, the offense as a whole is a very streaky, big play reliant offense. It's not yeah. the kind of offense where I'm like, oh, they're in the red zone, they're definitely going to score. It's more like the kind of offense that like every, you know, every number of plays something ridiculous will happen and Shane McCoy will have like an 80 yard run or Marquise Goodwin will have a massive reception or when um, uh, or when one of the other wide receivers will blow up. So for me, it's not a team that they can reliably work on that offense. But I think in this case, they've gone a bridge too far with all of the injuries. And I think in the end, this this team will probably end up somewhere around 7-9, and 8-8 eight and, eight and won't make the playoffs. So, you know, I think it's unlucky because I think if everything worked in their favor, they could be in with a shot. But I think, you know, the attrition seems to have taken its toll here in a game that they really needed to win if they wanted to make that push. No, of course, of course. Harry, Miami's defense clicked today, four sacks, eight QB hits. The offense had a 200-yard rusher, a 100-yard receiver, yet still they look to be struggling. Like, this is a second big win, which is a positive, but realistically, in these wins, they haven't looked like a team you can rely on. How does it? How do they turn the corner? Like, what more do they need? I think they just need to keep this up. Um, it's going to be interesting. I think what Ronan says about the paucity of quality of Bills receivers is quite telling. Like, Byron Maxwell looks good when you line him up against scrubs. Um, so I feel that, you know, part of it, it's like, okay, it's the level of the opposition. Now, bear in mind that the game looks closer than it was. Buffalo got an extremely garbage time touchdown with Reggie Bush, of all people. Oh, yeah. Um, when, the, when, the, when the time is basically about to expire. So, you know, it was a little more comfortable than the, than the scoreline says. But for Miami... It's baby steps at this point. And the win over Pittsburgh was a huge upset. This was then a, I wouldn't say good win, but a, a solid enough win over division rival where a couple of their players really exploded. Look at those positives. JHI looks great. Kenny Stills is a home run hitter. You know, Landry's still a good receiver. Bits of the defense are now starting to play well, and we're seeing uh, we're seeing more, more players come into their own. Maxwell, in fairness, has had two straight good games now. So I think things have been quite in flux in Miami for a while, and now we're perhaps seeing it settle down just a little bit. The problem for them is, of course, that they've got to keep it up. And that's what's going to, I think, be really telling over the next few weeks for these guys. Is like, okay, we've got we've got Sue getting sacks again. We've got Wake getting sacks again. Can we find a way to make that pressure consistent? Can we do it against teams that aren't like coached by Rex Ryan? What is it that needs to be done to maintain that? I'm not sure. Finding those positives, keeping them going and saying, right, let's keep doing this. Let's see what works here. And let's just hope we can bring it together by the end of the season and turn this into a genuine rebuilding year instead of another lost season. And I think this game has got to give them hope that some of the pieces might be falling into place a little bit. No, 100%. These are both teams that I kind of think are sat in that middle ground. It's also unfortunately, given who is in their division with them, they probably don't stand that much of a chance. Nope. But uh, it's promising in some parts, but also frustrating in others. Uh, Miami definitely looking a lot stronger than we thought they would at this point in the season. Uh, now on to the dumpster fire. My God, this is not one we were expecting to be this bad. Seattle at Arizona, 6-6. Six to six. Um, Bizarre late game ends in a tie in overtime in which both teams scored and both missed field goals in the overtime section. 
There was only three points scored in this game until the 56th minute. Uh, overall, the Cardinals should have won the game. They outgained the Seahawks by 200 yards. I think they had 10 or 12 more first downs in them. The time of possession was 46 minutes to 28. David Johnson looked great, 171 yards from scrimmage. Uh, defensively, Bobby Wagner was was in great, great form. 13 tackles, 12 solo, and Cliff Averill, two and a half sacks. This was a terrible game. More punts than points. Like, it wasn't even just that the defences looked good. It was just that nothing was happening. Uh, fun fun side note, there's been three 6-6 ties in the history of the NFL, and all three of them have involved the Cardinals. This one versus the Seahawks, one in 1972 at Philly, and one in 1970 at the Chiefs. Um, so, thankfully, these types of games don't occur all that often. Uh, Harry, Arizona performed better in relative terms here. Uh, is there still hope for their season? Yeah, I mean, look... Sometimes there's a game where football just breaks. There is no more football. The football is over and nothing makes sense. Normally it involves the LA Rams, but in this case they seem to have just transferred it to uh, two of the divisional rivals. There were still positives to take from the game, you know, in some ways. Like, you know, David Johnson obviously still proved that he can be a workhorse. Palmer didn't look that bad for stretches of the game, although there was obviously a lot of inconsistency. Fitzgerald did quite well in terms of volume receiving. And, you know, the defense actually did a pretty good job against against the Seahawks, all things considered. Like, we had, again, sort of very, very impressive performances from the likes of Dion Buchanan and Cooper playing. Make very hard for Seattle to get a passing game going with any great effectiveness. And then also just the front managed to just completely lock down the, the Seahawks' uh, run game. So the defensive side, definitely positives. Some bright sparks on the offense. But, you know, it's one of those games that's quite hard to read too much into because it was just so dysfunctional. And there were so many marginal things that have they gone a slightly different way, um, you know, drop passes, block kicks. This game could have had a... They could have changed the way this game was played. But as it was, it, it was just weird. Yeah. And you can't, I think, dwell too much on a game like this as a team or else you're just going to go into a morass of nothing. Yeah, there's also an odd decision not to not to relook at or question a, a play towards the tail end with a, a run that then hit off a uh, off the side marker of the end zone. But uh, Fitz, I was going to ask you a really long, complicated question, but I thought this was far easier. Where's the team we saw last week? Like, it's actually weird. This is the... Uh third game that the Seahawks have only allowed the Arizona Cardinals six points in a row. <laughs> the overall record between these teams is now 17-17-1 and one all time. This is just one of those games that, like, cursed. There was something spooky. I don't know. Maybe, like, Soil Creep is bringing an Indian burial ground under Glendale. I don't know what's going on. I think Harry says it best. Like, this is, this is just one of those games. It's like football. Shrug. What you saw on the offense was what we often see with Seattle when their offense stutters, which is penalty after penalty after penalty. Any good play that they manage to make, holding penalty. Like, as a Seahawks fan, you get used to it, but in this particular game, it was even worse than ever. I think you saw in this game that the Seattle tackles aren't up to the job against elite defensive ends. And in this case, Marcus Golden and Chandler Jones are very effective uh, rushers and have done a very good job of getting to the quarterback this season. Russell Wilson got rid of the ball quick, and was avoiding those sacks and only managed to get sacked once in the game, but it was very obvious he was under pressure very quickly. One thing is that they went pass heavy very quickly, very little of Christine Michael, very unusual for the Seahawks as well. Just a, a lot of things which were very off with the entire offense in this case, but I suppose like the one constant or the one thing that at least is reassuringly familiar is that uh, offensive penalty count 
uh, particularly his holding penalty. <laughs> Everything else about the Seahawks was as expected. Like, the defense was better than last week because it was actually very, very effective. Like, David Johnson had, like, what, over 50, like, something like 40, 50 touches, and he was kept to, you know, a relatively modest 150. That's about three, three yards per touch. Bobby Wagner basically jumped over the, uh, like, the line, like the, defense, like, the offensive line for two kicks during this game. One, to block a kick. He did also did it during overtime, and while he didn't block it in that case, he did effectively put the kicker off from what should have been a chip shot. Uh, it's hard not to imagine that Jan- like uh, Canizaro wouldn't have made that if Bobby Wagner wasn't looking to basically smash him a second from when he kicked the ball. Mm. So, of course, the only reason that they had those three points in the game at all is because of a blocked punt uh, by Tanner McAvoy. So the Seahawks should be delighted to have gone away with a tie in this case. Now, obviously, they had the opportunity to win it in the closing moments, but I think on the balance of play, the Seahawks had no right to be in this game towards the end. And the only reason they did it is because of elite defense, elite special teams play. Uh, the offense did nothing, but hopefully, you know, they can go around and they can basically catch up next week in New Orleans to get a lot of points that way, and hopefully they can sort these issues out. It just happened to have gone into the random Jeff Fisher twilight zone this week. So we're going to take a question from one of our listeners now, uh, kind of Halloween-themed one. Jeremy asked us, uh, who's going to come back from the dead? Come back from IR, injury, kind of not playing at the moment and make a big impact in the back half of the season. Um, so we've each taken one each. Harry, who have you taken? Uh, I've gone with a, a bit of a homer pick, and I've gone with Dion Lewis, because you saw the difference he's able to make to our team in the, sh- in the short passing game. Uh, like, James White is okay, but he's nowhere near as good as, as Lewis is, and Blunt obviously doesn't really help in that regard. So it gives us something really, really different coming out of the backfield, and it gives us something that ties in really well to the quick-hit rhythm type of game we play. And I think if Lewis comes back and is able to play the way he did last season, you're looking at this being a re- from a really great Patriots offense to being borderline unstoppable when we get that additional wrinkle into what is already clearly one of the best offenses in the league. I'm really excited for that. No, 100%, 100%. That'll be very exciting. Fitz, uh, who do you think is going to come back from the dead? I'm going to take another homer pick. I think we're all <laughs> a bit of a theme here. Uh, Thomas Rawls for the Seahawks. I think Chrissy Michaels did a great job, but I think you know, that one-two punch of him and Rawls could make a massive difference for the run game. They went away from it this week. We saw how that worked out. I think they want to establish that again. I think the one big difference Rawls gives you over Michael is that he finishes plays in an aggressive manner, really sets the tone in a Marshawn Lynch kind of way. I think Michael has more explosion at the line of scrimmage, but Rawls has that kind of X factor which can really pump up a team and make them want to take it to the next level and wear the opposition out. No, 100%. Yeah. I've got I've gone similar. I've gone a uh, homer pick of mine. I'm going for Justin Houston, one of the top pass rushers and one of the things that we're missing most as a team. The Chiefs is pass rush. Uh, he's already back practicing now. He's... Uh, Obviously, probably not anywhere near full speed yet, but uh, he's he's in at the facilities. They're very positive about him coming back. The big plus for ourselves as well is that if he can come back in week 12, we've got a run of, uh, of, of three in-division games in rapid succession there. So if he could be back for the Raiders, the Broncos and the Chargers to finish out the season, that'll be a real important time for us to be able to hammer anyone else who might be trying to push for the AFC West crown so really excited for seeing him back I think he's going to be a big impact player when he's uh, whenever he returns so thanks for that Jeremy uh, so here we go we're going to have a look through our picks for next week 
First game up, Jacksonville at Tennessee. We've taken Tennessee across the board. Why is that, Harry? Tennessee don't look amazing, but Jacksonville still look have looked really, really bad um, over the over the last while. It's difficult to see them turning it around away from home. Simple as that, really. No. This is going to be another awful TNF game. The color rush outfits, the the Ooh. mustard piss brown color. Oh. oh, just not good, not good. Uh, next game, Washington at Cincinnati. I've taken Cincinnati. Harry's taken Cincinnati. Fitz has taken Washington. Why the Mazungus, Fitz? Yeah, it's, it's kind of a weird pick. Uh, I picked against them last week against Detroit and happened to be correct. But I, I really don't trust the Cincinnati team right now. They seem like a team, like they managed to beat the Browns, but you know everyone has managed to do that right now. And every other game, they've looked really bad. I think Washington are a team that's looking to reestablish themselves and which has to keep winning because the NFC East is so competitive. So I like Washington to reestablish itself against the defense, which really hasn't shown much. Uh, One interesting factor will be if Josh Norman misses the game, that might tip the balance in favor of Cincinnati with AJ Green going crazy. But I think if Josh Norman starts Washington, uh, I, I think Washington should definitely have enough. Yeah, like my, my rationale for this is simply just, and I know Cincinnati haven't played all that well, it's just I still really like their roster top to bottom, and I'm sure at some point they're going to get it together. Uh, also, Washington have a very soft secondary. Even when Norman's in there, that's one good piece in what's an otherwise relatively weak group. So I'd hope that they'd be able to get a few things done. Also, fuck knows what happens in all these games, and if they're traveling so far, they're all tired. Uh, unless they bring their own toilet paper with them, they don't seem to be able to show up on the day. Uh, next game up is Harry's pick of the week, uh, Arizona. Carolina, uh, an interesting pick of the week. Uh, you're going for a tie? <laughs> <laughs> I blew my tie too early. That's the problem. This is this is my this is my pick of the week because uh, you guys had took the uh, took the two interesting games. So this is <laughs> very much the best of the rest situation. Uh, some of the one I took last week is not because it's going to be a great game because I think it's an interesting position uh, for both these teams, particularly for Carolina, who really need to get something kick started this season. Like, Carolina have really, really struggled. Um, and we've all seen Arizona significantly underperform this season and now coming off, obviously, just a really weird game um, last week. So, I'm I'm interested to see what happens here because these are two teams that really, really, really need a win at this stage. Um, Carolina should just get back into their division. And with the with the Falcons faltering a little bit now, they have perhaps a chance to do that. And the Saints still not looking great. And the, well, the Bucks, whatever. Uh, and Arizona, essentially, it's between them and the Seahawks. Really, they've just come off time. They need to get back to a position where they can push for that. So, I think we're going to see a interesting matchup. I think we're going to see a defensive battle for to a large extent because both these teams' offense have been starring, and that's why I'm leaning towards Arizona on this one, because I think their defense has looked better than Carolina's, and I think we saw that from how they played um, it last week, that they're looking like they're actually coming together a bit now, whereas Carolina, still a bit all over the place, still a bit sloppy, still tremendously talented, but haven't managed to get all of their bits to, to gel in the right way yet. So I'm interested to see, what these again, what these teams look like against each other. I think this is a critical game that may effectively end Carolina's season for definite if they lose, and will put Arizona for, at a big disadvantage if they do. So hopefully, you know, it'll go well. We'll see the teams recapture last season's form rather than this season's. Uh, but at the moment, yeah, Arizona's defense makes me think that they're going to be able to put on a bit of a clinic against, uh, uh, even against a tough offense and let them win this game. No, no, fair enough. Uh, like, in terms of... Harry's taken Arizona, myself and Fitz have taken Carolina. Uh, I've seen Carolina at home, both teams are underperforming at the moment. Carolina have tended to have Arizona's number in recent years. 
like nothing more than that because these are two teams that to me are still big question marks as to what exactly they are so uh so that's why I went there Detroit at Houston we've taken Detroit across the board Fitz why is that Houston look like poo right now while Detroit look on a bit of a run uh yeah I think Brock Osweiler who's just looked terrible Detroit actually managed to get some pressure last week against the the Mazingus. So if they can do that, they should have a good chance of knocking down the Houston team. I think it'll probably be closer than we might expect based on current form, because in terms of talent, Houston's probably a little bit better. But we'll we'll take Jim Bob. We'll take Coot. Well, Coot. <laughs> I believe in Cooter. <laughs> you said the thing with Stafford's numbers under Cooter. Oh yeah, yeah. Jesus, Stafford's had just incredible. Like this is the thing. He's a random number generator, but sometimes some of the shit he does is actually just insanely good. Yeah, so it's been a year since uh, Cooter became offensive coordinator, and in that period, Stafford's had 4,310 yards, uh, 7.6 in attempt, 35 to 8 touchdown interception ratio, and a QB rating of 105.2. Bear in mind, this is coming off a guy who we like to look at as a random number generator, but like those are impressive numbers. So if they can have a good game, I don't see how, uh, how, how Houston will be able to deal with that. Next game up, Seattle and New Orleans. I've taken New Orleans. Uh, Harry and Fitz have both taken Seattle. Uh, Harry, why Seattle? Seattle are still a good team. They still have a very good defense. The Saints are a all-over-the-place team that just get into those weird, sort of exciting games. We saw, though, that if Kansas City's defense can handle them, I don't see why Seattle's can't. I think their pass rush will be able to make Breeze uncomfortable, and I think their um, defensive backs are good enough to limit the damage the receivers can do. So, on the basis of that, I'd say that Seattle should be should be good enough to overcome the Saints. Yeah, fair enough. Like, I've gone for New Orleans, just there at home. They tend to be high-scoring. And to be honest, it is that thing. It's just the inconsistency I'm seeing out of Seattle that I don't know what's going to happen, whether they're going to go pass-heavy in this, because it is this is a defense that they can do that. Um like, I, I have no idea what's what's going to happen in this game, so I've just decided, as I need to make up some picks because I'm falling behind the game, I'm going for New Orleans to score a whole lot of points in the Superdome. Uh, Kansas City at Indianapolis. We've taken Kansas City across the board. Fitz? Uh, Indianapolis are trash. Uh, Andrew Luck is okay, but Kansas City are actually a good team. So, you know, pretty much. This is one of the safer picks of the week, I think. Mm. That's what makes me worried. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, all, it's always those ones that you fuck up. Uh, Revenge game, yeah. Next up, New York Jets at Cleveland. Uh, I've taken Cleveland. Uh, Harry's taken the Jets and Fitz has taken the Jets. Uh, why the Jets, Harry? I'm never picking Cleveland again after last week. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, look, uh, Cleveland are just... Like, the Jets are not great, although we saw them... They're able to do well what they do well with the running Matt Forte and sort of uh, tossing it up a bit last week. It worked for them. Um, Cleveland are just... like Cleveland are so frustrated. They're so talented. They've got so many good players, and they just can't get it together. And we and so much of that is just this instability, inconsistency, particularly at quarterback, that's just dragging this team down. And right now, it's difficult to see where that spark comes from against a Jets team that, for all of its failings and for all of its own wobbles, is still quite a tough proposition. No, 100%. Uh, Cleveland, for me... Uh they got to, they've got to win one at some point. <laughs> this one's at home. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick is starting the game, so he's going to be dog shit again. Uh, like it, it is a thing of if they get a good game out of out of Fitzpatrick, then they'll win the game. Uh, if they don't, 
they might not win the game. They might still win the game. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> now. But um, like I said, down the picks. Also, I quite like some of the bits Cleveland have, and I've seen them hang in these games, that if you allow them space to do so, they can come back. The Jets are notoriously god-awful in the second half of games, so I think maybe that might play to the home team's advantage a bit. So we'll see. Uh, next up, New England-Buffalo. We've taken New England across the board. Fitz, why is that? New England pretty much are stomping whoever comes to form at the moment. Tom Brady, in conjunction with uh, Martellus Bennett and Rob Gokowski, has decided that he's going to destroy everyone. And then when he finished, he gets LeGarrette Blunt to also run all over them. Uh, Buffalo are, are down many men, as we already talked about in the reviews. I think without, with Shady banged up, with no Sammy Watkins, with, uh, they lost Aaron Williams to injury. Yeah, yeah. A beat-up Buffalo team against an absolutely dominant New England team. I think there's only one way you can pick this game. Yeah, of course. Uh, Oakland at Tampa Bay. Oakland across the board for us. Uh, why is that, Harry? Oakland, I think, have um, improved on their defence. and Their offence remains extremely talented and, and explosive. And we saw this week as well Latavius Murray coming back, actually making a very big positive difference to them. It's just very hard to pick Tampa Bay at the moment. And it's quite hard to pick against Oakland at the moment. So you, you've got to think Oakland will, will win this one. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that one. Uh, next game. They're, they're away from home as well. <laughs> Yeah, they're great on the road, actually. That's the thing <laughs> they've won. Uh, next up, we've got San Diego at Denver. This is my pick of the week. Uh, I've gone San Diego, and you guys have gone Denver. Well, my San Diego one's with a couple of question marks beside it, but yeah, like this is a huge game for the AFC West. Broncos are currently tied in the lead with 5-2. and two. Chargers are 3-4, and four, looking real strong the last two weeks and hoping to get back into it. This will be a big step for them. Uh, the Chargers won against them at home uh, on Thursday Night Football two weeks ago and then went and beat the Falcons. So that's a good kind of head of steam you're getting, and their defense is looking really strong the Broncos obviously have a good record we look at them as being a very good team but the Broncos need to show a bit of strength because at this point when you look back over the wins they've had they're not actually all that impressive although at the time they seemed that because we hadn't really felt out these teams that they were playing the teams they've beaten were the Panthers the Colts the Bengals the Bucks and on Monday Night Football there the Texans that's not a murderer's row that's not even like a, a, an unwilling accomplice's row <laughs> like that's an innocent bystander who's been drafted in and is now intimidated to give any kind of statement in the box kind of row that is not good the two best teams they've played so far have been the Falcons and the Chargers in that Thursday night game and they lost both of those games uh, so they need to do it in a big spot and I'm not saying the Broncos can't do it I do think they're an incredibly talented team but I want to see it on paper happen and this is them at home it should favour them because they're at home but I'm just not sure I think the San Diego team might be able to push them and it will be a huge game if they could yeah like I think like I would agree with most of that I just think I think Denver at home with that defense should be able to get enough at Phillip Rivers to keep that inefficient I think this could end up being a much lower scoring game than we might expect based on their current uh, on their current record but it should be an intriguing game. Oh yeah, a tactical game. Like I'm, I'm full on expecting something similar to the San Diego Chiefs game last year at nine and six. Probably, probably a little bit more high scoring, but again, nothing, nothing too flashy. Next up, Green Bay at Atlanta. Uh, taking Atlanta across the board, Harry. Why Atlanta? Despite sort of recent struggles, uh, we've seen Atlanta still can put it together when they really, really want to. Uh, Green Bay. His defensive backfield is still struggling with injury. Obviously, Randall Shields. Uh, so yeah, like Green Bay still look un- very, very unconvincing even in victory. You have to think Atlanta are still explosive enough to take out Green Bay at home with them coming down to Georgia and um, sort of I think for reestablishing their diversity and fluidity that we talked about earlier that they that we know they can play with against a relatively soft Green Bay defense. 
Yeah, no, no, definitely can see that happening. Philadelphia, Dallas, this is Ronan's pick for game of the week, even though we've gone across the board for Dallas. Tell us about this game, Ronan. Yeah, like I think we, we all picked Dallas because based on their form, it's hard not to, but I think it was a massive win for Philly last week. They beat the Minnesota Vikings, the last undefeated team. I think that really puts a lot more confidence in that team, and they did it in a very dominating fashion, particularly on defense. That defense sacked Sam Bradford an absolutely massive amount of time. That sets up what is probably the most intriguing battle of this week, which is whether that Philly defensive line, which is in most games this season has looked very effective against what is generally considered or has been ordained the best offensive line in football, the Dallas Cowboys offensive line. That's an interesting fight. And of course, like winning here for the Philadelphia Eagles is kind of keeping Ezekiel Elliott hopefully to like less than 100 yards. If he made like 100 yards about with no touchdowns, they might even be happy with that. And if they can control that ground game, then they can truly challenge Dak Prescott and see whether he can put the game on his back and win the game for them. He's shown flashes of that potential so far this season, but we haven't seen that consistently. He's pretty, pretty much been, he pretty much just needs to be a game manager right now. And it'll be interesting to see where Philly's defense can step up enough to make that happen again. On the other side of the ball, we have a somewhat intriguing Philly offense with Carson Wentz continuing to show a lot of growth, and probably a bit more exciting than Dak Prescott in certain ways, particularly from a kind of gunslinging, like Brett Favre kind of type of view of quarterback player, what it should be, against a Dallas defense, which is generally considered to have been good enough not to lose them the game. It'll be interesting to see whether that Philly offense uh, can establish the run game with Darren Sproles and Ryan Matthews, and then, if possible, hopefully avoid relying on what has been a very mediocre receiving core, Obviously, there's rumors going right now that Torrey Smith might be uh, traded to them from the San Francisco 49ers. Maybe that could change. I doubt that'll happen in time for this game. But I think if they can get the run game going, I like Philly uh, to have some chance in this game. Like I think in the balance of what we've seen so far, Dallas are the more consistent team. Dallas have the like the stronger strengths, and you know you wouldn't be surprised to see Ezekiel Elliott like beat that defensive line. But it could be a lot closer than we might expect based on what we would have thought a couple of weeks ago. Last game on the on the list up is Minnesota at Chicago. Uh, Minnesota across the board for all of us. Uh, it's quite simple. Uh, I don't think Jay Cutler is going to give a fuck. Uh, he's going to throw a couple of picks. He'll look nonchalantly about it. Vikings defense look strong again. And against a banged up Chicago defense, I think they should be able to get a little bit of something going. So uh, that should keep him going. And then the final pick this week uh, comes in from Harry. Uh, so what what is it? It you're saying the the Rams? The Rams. There's gonna be some seven and nine buy shit. Excellent. Now that's locked in. That's on there. Uh, is that kind of does it draw a win or a loss? Because those are the three options, son. This is going against your uh, this is going against your predictions for the year. The loss for everyone. No, it's a, win, it's a win for football. To be honest, the Rams aren't playing. <laughs> I think I'd have to do. I'd have to put it down as a loss because zero wins. Yeah, they're yeah, not winning, so they must be losing. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I have I have been enjoying the the pictures doing the rounds of Tony Romo is having an incredible season. He's thrown no interceptions so far. Well, Tony Romo's a hot hot topic discussion there mm, on the internet, as it turns out. Yeah, Jesus, all you guys who are listening away, you had a, you had an awful lot to say about uh, about the Tony Romo Dak Prescott stuff this week. Yeah, uh, I, I had to delete two homophobic slurs. It was great. I don't know about that. <laughs> 
To be honest, that's that's real good going. <laughs> this is what we've been at for the last week. Uh, oh god, no, it's, it's great. It's great to see people. You know, it's great. Really, really great to see people getting uh, engaged on social media. And again, you know, any feedback, any comments, any questions you have, please leave them under the under the posts. Yeah, yeah. messages sent to the page like you do, and you know. Yeah. It's always just—it's great to just see we're you know connecting with people. Yeah, some of the, some some of them are good. Some of them are real stupid though. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, that's inevitable. There was there was one or two that I literally could not work out what they were trying to say, but uh, you know that's that's the American schooling system for you. <laughs> Wait, did you guys see? Uh, obviously, you did. Uh, Marquette King's run on Sunday. Night. Oh, it was amazing. Oh, so good. Oh, yeah. Fourth and twenty-five. Guess we're just gonna have the punter run for a while. Punter scramble. <laughs> He's like, he's been playing incredibly. He's also real good. If you want an NFL Twitter follow tip, Marquette King is real good at Twitter. <laughs> True. I, I, I don't know. I just love the term. He's real good at Twitter. <laughs> but yeah, so I suppose we're going to have Fitz down for the weekend for a bit of this, bit of the old Halloween. So what we're going to do is we'll all be in the same room for recording, which obviously probably means we're not going to have coverage of the Monday night game, which uh, Minnesota-Chicago sounds real exciting, guys. Yeah, I think I can predict what's going to happen in that game. <laughs> we'll have to do like if, if anything interesting happens, we'll have to do like an emergency drop uh, in, yeah, 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 Skype chat for uh, for it. But yeah, yeah I'd say it'll be all right. That should be good fun. So good, good, good crack to be had. Now we've got plenty. We're doing horror films and food over here on Friday. Then we've got house party Saturday, football Sunday, podcast Monday. Good God, our insides are going to be fucking liquid by the end of this this, this week. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> And Fitz, you're off to London, aren't you? Uh, London next Tuesday. No, no, next Wednesday for a, a one-day class conference thing. Oh, uh, fair enough. You couldn't have got them to just send you over a bit earlier? You could have picked up the Wembley game, been our uh, roving reporter? Yeah, unfortunately, uh, they, they don't look uh, greatly upon that. And anyway, I would have missed, you know, being able to do the podcast live with you guys. That's you true, know? that's, that's far true. More I'm looking forward to, to, to what your costume is. I think you should break out the, the, the drag one from Keenan's birthday again. Oh, it's fucking Chi Chi <laughs> Dragon Ball, wasn't it? Chi Chi Dragon Ball, great name. Yeah. Mm. Were, you, were you there for that? No, I wasn't. Oh, I was. I think I was in Switzerland visiting Marais. Oh, that's right, you were. Yeah, yeah. 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 But uh, it's great no, night. It's great night. Yeah, no, I saw the photos. It looked fab. Uh, you mean, were looking. You were looking fierce, Fitz. Looking fierce. Thanks. Um, but yeah, so we'll sort that out. I'm sure. We might, if, if you're very good, we might even throw up a picture of our of our costumes. Uh, probably not. They probably would be banned uh, off off, off mm. the old Facebook page. Yeah, yeah. But. Uh, <laughs> But no, because I, to be honest, I think I think you should go for the ill-fitting dungarees, slap a pillow down there, and go as white Vince Wilfork. <laughs> Holy fuck! There's literally nobody at the party that will get that other than you guys. <laughs> it would be brilliant. That would be so good. I might have to now. I, I, I don't want to get dungarees. <laughs> but yeah, uh, look, guys, thanks very much for listening. Uh, it's bye from myself. Bye from Harry. Bye. Bye from Fitz. Bye. It's been uh, all four quarters. Have a good chat. We'll see you next week. Spooky! <laughs> I hate both of you. <laughs>